Father in heaven, we have already invoked the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that the ministry of the Holy Spirit would now open, make possible for our minds and our hearts to not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. A quick housekeeping item before I have a chance to teach from the Bible. And I may have explained this before and I just don't remember here at Light of Christ. I may not have, but I know there's new folks since I was here last. Let me just say a word, it's actually going to be pertaining to what I'm going to teach on as well, about the unusual hat that I wear as bishop. (laughs) I find it simple just to kind of get it out there because you all see me wearing it and some of you are maybe very familiar with that from your growing up or being in the diocese, others of you, it might even be a bit of a barrier. Why would he wear that hat? <laughs> and it, there should be a good explanation, and there actually is a very good explanation. I mean, the actual reality of the hat comes from ancient Roman practice, magistrates wore it. Honestly, the very, very origins of it in terms of the actual reality of it just comes from old haberdashery. I mean, it's just old hat stuff. Um, <laughs> And it was a symbol of an office and a symbol of authority, and that's, that's initially why a bishop would wear it. But the church took it and said, but there's actually a symbolism, and they, they shaped it around a symbolism. It's actually really important in matters for today, which is this, that the hat actually has, if you, if you can see it, the shape of a flame. And the idea, as we prepare ourselves for the Feast of the Ascension, which is Thursday, and then 10 days later, always following, of course, is the Feast of Pentecost, that the flames of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. And the idea is that the bishop ministers in the continuity with the apostles, but what's most important is that he has to be under the authority of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, there was added to it then two tails or or tabs that you might see me kind of move around because they flip over my shoulder. You got to kind of manage those two. And those came to be clearly symbolizing the Old and New Testaments of the Holy Scriptures. Which is to say not only is the bishop, and for that matter all of us, but it's important that you know that your leader is under the authority of the Holy Spirit. He's under the authority of the Word of God revealed in the Bible. Amen? The Old and and New Testaments. So that's the meaning behind the hat. Which I think is really powerful. Especially as we prepare to confirm with the laying on of hands some light of Christ, brothers and sisters, whereby we're asking the power of the Holy Spirit to renew them, to refresh them, to empower them for the work of sharing Jesus and living Jesus and being his ministry. I've had the opportunity to preach a lot of confirmation services over the years. Prior to being bishop, I as a priest would preach these services. But I, I, I wanted to do something two weeks ago. I wanted to write a new confirmation sermon. And resurrection, I, this, I'm actually going to hit, I'm, I'm going I'm to peak 90 confirmations in the last two weeks, you guys. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about that, by the way. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, that's, 
You guys are very clappy like Resurrection. Resurrection claps a lot too. I, I, lo- I love it. Um, so we're going we're gonna to top 90 today from uh, Resurrection, Adults, Resurrection Youth, Church of the Cross, with your sister church up in Minneapolis um, as well. So I wanted to write a new homily, but, and, and, I, and I did. But I, but I, couldn't, I couldn't change the intro that some of you have heard me share and, and that I've actually shared for 20 years with Confirmands, primarily Resurrection Confirmands. In the last five years I've had a chance to share this throughout the diocese. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a story you've heard before. I don't want you to be worried that I'm actually slipping and that I've forgotten that I told this story before. I know sometimes you worry about your pastors when we tell stories over and over again. You don't have to worry. I know I'm telling it again. But I have a purpose for telling it again. And I'm going to share with you the same teaching I've shared with your sister churches. There is a gift of the Holy Spirit for you all today. Let me me just stop before I go here. Let me just encourage you as much as you can. And I I don't even know half of you, unfortunately. So I'm just going to say, if you can just in your heart, just in your heart say to the Lord, if if you're willing, and some of you may not even be followers of Jesus, you may be exploring Christianity. I I assume there may be some here who are doing that. But could, could you just say, I, I just, I want whatever you would give me today, Holy Spirit. Just say that to the Lord. I, I want whatever you would give me, Holy Spirit. I want to be that submitted. I want to be that surrendered. Lord Jesus, I want that. I, I want whatever you would give me today. Come, Holy Spirit. So it was summer of... 1983, I was 16, which makes me 51 now. And I was lying on my back with a handful of my high school buddies. Some of them were followers of Jesus, some of them were not yet. It was a beautiful North Carolina summer night. We had a camp called Windy Gap with Young Life. And our leader was there with us. And I don't know if this was spontaneous in the moment or if he'd done this with others before. I, I don't know. But he, he looked up and there was this golden, you know, globe moon that night. A full harvest moon that night. It was beautiful. And he said, hey, how about we do this? How about every time from here on out that we see a full moon, we decide together to pray this prayer. Make me a force for Jesus in my generation. Now I am guessing I've had other moments like that where somebody tried something like that. And I've had a lot of moments where preachers have tried to get me to remember stuff. And I haven't remembered it. But the Holy Spirit chose in that moment, in that summer night, to plant that in my mind in such a way, in my heart, that I would remember it for decades and decades that I still park in the car at night and walking back on the alley to the house, we'll see a full moon, and I pray that. I'll be camping with my family in the beautiful state of Wisconsin. Thank you very much for being Chicago's camping grounds. <laughs> I'll be camping up here in Wisconsin, which always for me, for you all means life and work. For me it means rest and beauty. 
I'll be camping up here and there'll be a full moon and the kids also know. And just make us a force for Jesus in our generation. And I want to give that to our confirmands. I want to give that uh, light of Christ today. I want to give that prayer to you. Maybe the Lord would use that in your life like he's used it in mine. I hope he would because in confirmation, you're being given the presence of the Lord that you might be a force for Jesus in your generation regardless of your, your age. But here's what I haven't taught on before. and I've shared that story many times. How? How does it actually happen? How do you move from that moonlit evening into actually being a force for Jesus in one's generation. How, how would I, a month later, when my family was leaving a, a town that I loved, friends that I was close to, a phenomenal high school experience to move to a larger city, a high school twice as large, where I would no longer know all the people that I knew. How, how would I, a month later, in the dislocation and the pain of moving in the midst of adolescence, how would I be a force for Jesus in my generation? Or how about a year later, unbeknownst to me at that time, when my entire life was going to fragment and explode, when my father would leave my mom and they would begin a process that would ultimately lead into their divorce, how would I, a year later at 17, amidst that reality, become a force for Jesus in my generation? How would it work when I would go to college and after college and face exquisite, subtle, luring temptation like I thought I would never ever face and capitulate to, how would I then after that, realizing what I was doing with my life, how would I then become a force for Jesus in my generation? How, how would I become a force for Jesus in my generation when 10 years ago to this month, my beloved family member and brother-in-law would succumb after five years of fighting cancer and at the age of 46, a gifted worship leader and theologian die young and leave two children behind in the midst of that suffering and, and that disappointment. How would I be a force for Jesus in my generation? How do you get from point A to point B with Jesus? How does it actually happen? Confirmation is very concerned with actualities. Well, the Bible says that the way you get from point A to point B, the way you get from a beginning or a new beginning or a renewed beginning to the next place. It's very simple. The Bible teaches this. It uses this, 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 this image all the time. It says this, walk, walk. And the first words that we have recorded of Jesus is come, follow me, walk. Paul uses it all the time. Romans chapter 6, he teaches on baptism which gives us the gift of new birth. And confirmation is always connected to baptism. No one's ever confirmed that hasn't been baptized because they have to be given the gift of being born from above. They have to be given the gift of new birth. But that gift must be walked out. Whether it was a gift given in infancy or childhood or adulthood, whenever you were baptized, that gift must be walked out. Which is why confirmation is so critically connected to baptism. It is saying, I will walk out that gift given me from Jesus. I, I, I will live it out. Paul says, be baptized, Romans chapter 6, and walk in newness of life. One of the best ways to understand confirmation is it is a walking out. It's being empowered to walk out because walking itself in itself is not enough. It's important to walk. But as a matter of fact, the early church said, yeah, but there's two ways to walk. The early church said, right away they said, okay, it's called the Didache. You can walk in the way of the world or you can walk in the way of God. So actually walking is not enough. 
You have to walk in power. You have to walk in the power of God. Confirmation says, and confirmation for all of us, even though you had it being confirmed, it ministers the power of God. If baptism ministers closeness to God, closeness to Jesus, so confirmation connected to baptism ministers the power of Jesus, the power of God. But you have to choose. Confirmation is the decision point. Confirmation is a decision point. Will you walk in the way of the world? Will you walk in the way of the power of God? So I've chosen Ephesians chapter 4 to teach on confirmation from and chapter 5. That in your order of service, your bulletins, if you have your Bible with you, you can open that up. And here we see Paul actually using the language of walk. Look at chapter 4. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Here he's really saying, and we'll, we'll unpack this together, walk in the power of God's people. Ephesians is a lot about the people of God, a lot about the church. Walk in the power of God's people. Ephesians chapter 5, we're talking about walking in the power of God's spirit. If you're an outline person, I'm just going to help you right now. It's two parts to this thing, all right. If you're not, then don't worry about it. Just, just let it flow. But if you're an uptight outline person, I am. Here's what I would say: Walk in the power of God's people, Ephesians chapter four. Walk in the power of God's spirit, Ephesians chapter five. Just briefly again with baptism. Baptism is an essential. The church has always understood that everyone that desires to follow Jesus and families that desire for their infants to follow Jesus. If you have any questions about that, Father Eric will be available to talk all about infant baptism after this service is over. Baptism is an essential. It's called a sacrament. It is an essential, like Holy Communion. Confirmation is edifying, and it's called a sacramental ministry. So you have an essential quality to baptism and Holy Communion. Sacra- the confirmation is a kind of sacramental ministry. But it's a beautiful and powerful sacramental ministry that again is connected to your baptism. As a matter of fact, we had a prayer meeting the night before we did confirmations at Resurrection two weeks ago. It was a Saturday night prayer meeting and one of our youth um, had a prayer image. And sometimes folks will get, you know, a prayer verse from scripture or they'll get a prayer image. And this youth had a prayer image. It's a powerful image. The image was that confirmands, after they've been confirmed, were being given their baptismal candles. Now we don't actually give them their baptismal candles. That's the image he had in prayer. They were given their baptismal candle, which every baptism candidate's given. And they had their baptismal candles and they were marching down to the font, which at Resurrection is in the, in the kind of center of our sanctuary. They marched into the font and in this prayer image, they plunged it into the waters of the font, which you would think would extinguish their candles. But actually the candles and being plunged into the waters of baptism flamed up. And I think it's a beautiful picture for you as confirmants that what God is doing is you have the candle of your baptism, but it's being set aflame. It's being renewed and refreshed in the Holy Spirit. Walk in the power of God's people. Let's look at this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, and I want to focus on this phrase right after that, bearing with one another in love. When we walk in the power of God's people, we have to learn how to bear and we have to beware. Okay? 
We have to learn how to bear and we have to beware. Let me say a little bit about bearing. This is fascinating. Look at this. Paul's saying, this is, there's a community of God. There's the people of God. There's one body, he'll say in verse 4, which isn't there in your bulletin. There's one spirit. He's talking about the church. But, he, but here's how we do, it, do this in Christianity. Um, and you may be new to Christianity, so you should know this. We tend to actually be almost ridiculous realists. It's amazing as many folks become Christians as do. Because if you read the Bible, the Bible is very clear. Become Christians. It will change your life. It's true. It will transform you. It's true. It will give you new purpose, new energy, new power. And God's all true. And it will be really hard. It's true. <laughs> the same Jesus who said, come follow me, will say, come and die. Here's what Paul does. Paul's like, here's the community of God. It's amazing. Bear with one another in love. Be patient and humble. Why? Because it's super hard. There's no idealization of community in Christianity, just so we're really clear. I'm not saying some Christians don't idealize community, but they're not thinking biblically when they do. The Bible is so incredibly just real, even raw, about the fact of what it actually means to live in church community with other people who happen to be Christians. You may be the only one who's not sinful. You're sinless. And for you it must be miserable to live with all these sinners. Imagine that. I mean, I have a family of eight. I'm the only sinless one. Do you know what it's like for me? I mean, they, they don't wash the dishes when they should. They don't do their chores when they should. They speak brusquely to one another when they shouldn't. And here am I, suffering as the sinless one. No, I'm, I'm joking. Of course I'm not sinless. We're all sinners. It makes it a huge mess to live in community together. Paul says, I want everyone to know this. Let me just be really clear. Coming to Christian community, here's the first thing you need to know. Bear. Bear with one another. Patience. Humility. It's going to be hard. You may have been given the gift of a Christian family. That's hard. Welcome to the family of God. That's hard. Oh, it's good though. Here's where you learn to love. Bear with one another in love. Let's get real about love, Paul is saying. Let's get real about community. I've had a chance to see many come into Anglicanism. It's, it's beautiful. And one thing they'll say is, oh, I love that now I'm part of the historic church, which is absolutely true. Which is back to the island of England in the 200s. I love being part of the historic church. Or they'll say, oh, I love being part of the global church. I, I love the diversity of the global church. The Africans, the Asians, the, the South Americans. I, I love the global church. I'm like, that's great. I'm glad you love the historic church. I do too. And the global church. How about your local church? You love that? You love her? Because quite honestly, it's really easy to love the global church. It's photographs and, you know, YouTubes and, oh, it's great. We don't really live in the global church in that way. We interact with the global church. We're thankful for the global church. I get a chance to interact with it very regularly as a bishop. But I don't even live in the global church. I live at Church of the Resurrection with a whole bunch of sinful people who know me and who I know. And they're not always easy to live with. You know what confirmation does? Confirmation confronts the idealization of community by saying, would you choose to love an actual community with actual sinners? Would you choose to do that? Would you give up your life and your preferences? You're not going to like every song that's sung here. Who said you would? I mean, we're not selling something. We're giving someone. His name is Jesus. And we do it through very broken vessels like ourselves. Confirmation 
confronts the idealization of our community by saying, come into a specific local community whereby you will be connected to the global church. That's absolutely true. But that's a beauty that happens through a particularity. You tracking with me? You'll be connected to the church throughout the ages. That's a beauty that happens through a particularity. A particularity that shakes us up. Which is why Paul says, walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with humility and gentleness. Here's the alternative. If you're not willing to live with the people of God, then you will live alone. Perhaps literally or, or just emotionally and spiritually. The alternative is terrifying. Do I need to tell you how hard this life is? I don't think so. Do I need to tell you how many challenges are out there? How many diseases are out there? How many accidents are out there? How many heart-wrenching situations are out there? I mean, my heart breaks for people who are far from God. Because not only are they far from God, they're far from God's people. This may be hard, but this is nothing like living life by yourself. You all have the tradition of the Easter Vigil and of doing the readings in beautiful artistic ways. And so does Church of the Resurrection. And this year for Adam and Eve, there was this moment where... Adam and Eve have now dislocated from one another. They've sinned. They've removed themselves from God's presence. And there was this moment where Adam, everyone else was off of the stage, and Adam is by himself like this after the fall, totally alone. That's the alternative. Or we can learn to love. We can walk in love. Paul says in the beginning of Ephesians 5. Let me just be very practical about how we walk in the power of God's people as well. I think I've been a little bit more bigger picture. Here's what it can look like. So living in the western suburbs of Chicago, uh, where, where I live, uh, can be extraordinarily expensive. And DuPage County, where we minister, is extremely expensive for housing values. And yet, by God's gift, we have a ton of 20-somethings that want to live near the church and be, live in the power of the people of God. But it becomes very hard financially. So here's what, what, what two families have done by actually taking and receiving the power of the people of God. And it's this. They said, you know what, let's take a year experimentally in a rental situation and let's live together. As this, at this point, it was two couples. We'll share the rent, right? We'll, we'll, we'll have an intentional meal once together. We're not going to have an idealized community. Our community is Church of the Resurrection. But let's just do this so we can live close to the church. So they did that for a year. They experimented with it. They were very clear about it. They did it under the authority of the church. They came to some pastors. What do you guys think? They said, yeah, try it. It went really, really well. It just worked. So then one couple had a baby, the other one has not yet, and they said, you know what, we, we want to buy a house. But we could, we could actually buy this house, but it would mean so much if you all would come in with us because we loved our community together. And it would help us to make the mortgage payments. Would it help you all? And they said, well, we could never get into a home in DuPage County. We'd be looking at rental apartments unless we lived with you all. So actually, let's move in with you all for the next year. We're going to go year by year. We're sitting in the authority of the church. We're going to let them sort things out if we get into a mess. But we're actually going to live in the power of the people of God. So pragmatic. But now I've got two families, court to resurrection, who would be living a half an hour or 40 minutes away to afford their lives. They can now live 10 minutes away and they live together in the community of God. 
Now they bear with one another. There's patience, there's humility. But isn't that powerful? And that's there, it's here. It's here in the people of God. Difficult for us as Americans who are trained in independence. But the Bible trains you in interdependence. So we walk in the power of the people of God. We walk in the power of God's spirit. Ephesians chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk. Verse 15. Not as unwise, but as wise. Do you, do you, do you see the two paths? There's the path of wisdom, the path of the power of God. There's the path of being unwise, which is the path of the power of the world. It's that stark, actually. And this is Paul. Read John, it gets more stark. And then read the early church document called the Didache, and it's very stark. Why? Because it's stark. That's why. Because it's actually stark. There actually are two ways. There's the way of the world, and there's the way of the power of God. And then he says this. This is so interesting. I, I, I actually, I can't believe Paul does this as a teacher. I don't think I would take this risk, but that's fine because I'm not the Apostle Paul. Look what he does. He compares the ministry of the Holy Spirit with getting drunk. I, I hope you're not too used to this verse where you go, oh, yeah, of course he does. This is, this is, a, this is a major teaching risk here. Okay, so he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That, that means the way of the world. Do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> okay, okay, so let's, let's, all right, let's let him teach us. What is he saying? Well, if you've seen someone drunk, which is probably one of the reasons why he chose the illustration, he's like, most of his folks that had not walked in the way of Jesus yet had been drunk. They knew drunkenness from their own perspective, or they knew somebody who'd been drunk. They'd seen somebody drunk. I'll never forget the first time my kids saw somebody drunk. It was in my, my wife's home country of Brazil. I blame Brazil. They would never see someone drunk in the United States. Certainly not in Wisconsin. Um, yes, I, I, you would never see this in Wisconsin. Um, so, so they saw somebody drunk, and they were freaked out because they could tell that they weren't that they were different. They could tell that the way that they walked was different and the way they talked and the way that they looked at them was different. It was a very jarring experience for the kids. Because what happens in drunkenness? Well, something comes from outside of you, it comes inside of you, and it changes you. It changes how you think, right? It changes how you see things. It changes how you speak. It changes how your body works. Ah, here's the analogy. What happens in the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, He comes from outside of you. He comes inside of you. He changes you. You see how beautiful this is? It's, it's, it's the other side of it. He changes your thinking. He changes your perception. He changes your speech. He changes your entire body. He empowers you. He's saying one is the way of the world. It's destruction. It's isolation. Speaking specifically of drunkenness and then larger of the way of the world. And the other is the way of God. The way of the Holy Spirit. The way of being filled and the, the, the aspect of the verb there is and continue to be filled. In confirmation, you're being filled with the Holy Spirit whom you've already received. And you're continuing to be filled with Him because He can change you. He can change your thinking into thinking like the way of God and thinking about the people of God and thinking about how you speak of God. Indeed, the next verse says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to God in your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Do we not, do we not know the Holy Spirit when we're just singing? Because He's changing us. He comes from outside into the reality of our sinful natures. 
by the power of Jesus' cross and resurrection, and he changes us. Which is to say what? We can expect wonders and signs of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can expect that as part of our lives. Let me be very clear about this. The Bible is very clear. We are still sinners. One great Christian thinker said we are simultaneously sinners and we're saints. Which said we have been redeemed by the Lord. We walk in his power. And yet we have not fully seen our Lord face to face and thereby been utterly killed of our sinful nature. It's a tension. The world is in a crazy tension. So many beautiful things in this world, right? There's so many beautiful things. Even if you're not a Christian, you see the beautiful things. I mean, is music not one of the most beautiful things? Whether you're a believer or not, you can know this. Okay, and yet so much, so much twistedness, so, so much confusion in the world, so much rebellion and darkness and even demonic evil power in the world. So the signs and wonders come, but one says they, they come like through a glass dimly. They, they come and they're here and they're very much a part of the Christian life. But there are times when they don't come, and that's just a fact. There are times when those we pray for for healing, at least physically, are not in that moment healed. It's a fact. I'm not denying that fact. I've lived that fact. I've suffered that fact. But never would I say that the greater fact is not true, which is that we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of Jesus. And wonders which is a supernatural signs, are very much a part of who he is. Which is to say, you can anticipate having dreams that aren't just a result of your digestion system, but are a result of God meeting you. You can expect people in your life to speak the things of God to you in ways that your jarred connect with your life. You can expect from time to time to meet God in a way that is completely outside of your control because it has a level of power or a level of immediacy or a level of, a level of closeness. You should expect that. You should anticipate that. That's what confirmation is saying. It's not a ceremonial going through the motions where the bishop visits. It's a filling of the Holy Spirit for wonders and signs. And yet it is also, let me conclude with this, while there are wonders and signs and they are part of the Christian life, there's also just the walking out in the Holy Spirit and what the prayer book calls daily increase. That we just walk in the power of the Spirit in daily increase, which is to say, oh, I have enough of the Lord today that my anxiety is down enough that I could actually pray for 10 minutes. That's a gift. Oh, I've got enough of the Lord today. I, I've got daily increase. I can read my Bible and engage something in the scriptures. Oh, that's a daily increase. I just said a kind word to my spouse when I was tempted to say a harsh word. Daily increase. I conclude with a daily increase story of what happens in the power of God's spirit. I was ministering and teaching seven resurrection leaders who are preparing to become church planters or part of church plant teams as we seek to reach Chicago, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and beyond. And I just taught them in this session, very simple, it's a kind of a daily increase, Holy Spirit walking out. I just taught them to be quiet together. I put them in the pairs and put your hand on somebody's shoulder and just listen 
for what God may want to minister to them. Some of you have been taught this here at Light of Christ. It's very simple. It's based on the Bible and hearing from the Lord for one another so that we can be built up, the Bible says. And so I taught them how to do this. I taught them the Bible teaching behind it, and I taught them pragmatically. Here's what we do. We're going to break into pairs. We're going to be quiet. You know, put your hands on your shoulder. You're going to listen. And you may not get anything. And then you just be honest and say, I don't have anything. Let me just pray a prayer of blessing over you. That's, that's legit. You're not going to get thrown out of the game for that. Okay. But you may get something from the Lord in your imagination. You may get a scripture verse or a picture. I just want you to pray that for the person. So they did. They did. That's exactly what they did. Now, I have to say, I've taught on this so many times. But every time I teach on it, I go, oh, man, I hope this works. That's my own unbelief. Right? I'm like, oh, man, like, I hope somebody gets a, a picture or a prayer for somebody. Or this is going to be really embarrassing. Which is just pure unbelief because the Bible teaches this, that God does this. So we get, everybody goes and does it. They all, they're all super nervous. Now, these are all like trained folks. They want to go into ministry. But even when I brought this whole up, I, I could see that they're all like, oh, man, like what if I don't get a word or what if I don't get a picture? It's just fascinating to watch the whole thing. So I'm insecure. They're insecure. We're all insecure. Great place to do life, by the way. Because God is very secure. He's very secure. Uh, God is not insecure. So we all got together. We prayed for each other. And I brought it back and said, okay, now you guys, what happened? Did, did, did you feel like what that person prayed for you connected in any way? It just moves me, even now that I think about it again. It's so simple. It's just five of us on a Wednesday morning, you know. So daily. This woman said, um, yeah, well, my prayer partner prayed for me, and she got this picture of a watering hole and all these animals coming to a watering hole. Well, that meant so much to me because a week ago, my pastor's wife prayed for me, and she got a picture of a watering hole. And all these animals coming. I feel like the Lord's saying, I, I want to give you what you need. I want to give you living water. One of the guys said, yeah, that, that's really, I had a similar thing. He said, I've been asking God for six months for more ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's not my background. I'm not used to that. And my prayer partner prayed for me. He got this picture of a dove landing on me. Well, in the Bible, the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So it confirmed this heart's yearning I've had that it said to me that the Lord knows me and what I'm wanting from him and asking from him. And it made me feel like God knows who I am. That little picture, he said, makes me feel like God is very real and personal. That's the daily increase. Confirmation ministers the power of Jesus. The power of the people of God. We can bear with one another and beware of a life lived alone. And the power of the Spirit of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.